The class as of today takes kind of a fundamental shift. We have been, the first couple of weeks, we've been talking about what you believe. In the sense, we went through Deuteronomy 6 and said, hey, let's, let's commit to doing, leading our family kind of God's way in Deuteronomy 6. And last week, we just talked about the most important thing in leading your home is leading authentically and believing that you can trust God with your idols and all that kind of stuff. And now we're getting to the point, the reason you guys took this class is how do I train my kids? And so today we take a fundamental shift and start to talk about, hey, how do you actually do that? And the thing I want you guys to walk away with today is that so many times we focus on our kids' behavior and making them be good kids because it makes us look good. And I just hope today that you walk away moving past that to how do we train their hearts. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to embarrass us. They're going to do all that kind of stuff. But how do we really focus on the heart instead of focus on the behavior? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to bring Todd up. Lord, thank you so much for the great privilege we have to spend um, mornings in your word and with other guys who want to be good dads. And we just ask that uh, you would guide us. And lead us. We are not smart enough, experienced enough to do this on our own. We need help from you. Now, we're grateful for your grace in our lives. And Father, we need grace here. We need grace and we need your spirit. And Father, I pray that we would follow faithfully after those things that you lead us to do. So I pray that you would use um, today to sharpen us as dads. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I get, I get that I've said this several times, so this would be nothing new for some of you. But there are three men in my life who have most shaped who I am as a Christ follower. One, a guy named Tom Rayleigh that was the longest living guy on Young Life staff, was a mentor of mine and a great friend. John Sharps, the guy that lives in Oklahoma, is kind of my spiritual dad. And then Todd uh, has been the guy over the last 15 years or so that has just shaped who I am as a Christ follower but specifically as a dad. And Todd and I haven't spent a lot of time just sitting down and saying, cross coffee and saying, hey, this is, this is what it means to be a dad. But just in passing conversations, here's what I did with my kids. I couldn't think of anybody else better to come up and talk about how you train the heart of your kids. Our, our mission statement here in family ministry is to partner with parents to raise the next generation of courageous Christian leaders. And so Todd has been a significant part of giving me a vision for that, what that can look like. There's a lot of people clamoring for Todd to write a book, and I'm telling him all the time, write a dad book. That is the book I want you to write, because he's got great insight on what it means to be a dad. So now we brought, we brought his dad here for an edit check today. So Todd's dad, dad's dad is here. So if, if uh, somebody stands up and there's a sign that says BS uh, <laughs> right here, <laughs> you'll know that that's Mr. Wagner. So thanks, Todd. <laughs> that, that happened when I got my surveys back. Right? That's... <laughs> Good morning, man. And thank you, Kyle. I am uh, always most humbled when I hear Kyle say uh, the nice things he did about how he's used our friendship in his life. And uh, it's been very, very mutual, as it always is. Right? This guy's always intention is to be mutual encouragement. Anytime that I'm spending time with somebody, I am learning from them, even as I uh, hopefully pour some of what is going on in my life into their hearts. So I'm a learner the rest of my life. There's a ton of stuff that I'm not doing well that I need to do better. I want to remind you what we said to you the very first week, and that is that God's grace covers a multitude of parenting mistakes. And uh, you need to cling to that. I have made many, I, I guarantee you. Uh, my dad is here today. That was, wasn't planned. It's a great convenience that happened. He was in town for some other stuff with the, the kids. And so I said, well, come on with me this morning. So he's here, and I'm glad about that. But, um, you know, we've talked a lot. You know, he's at times asked my forgiveness for things he didn't do as a dad. Uh, I'm going to share with you a story about something he did do as a dad today. And I'll start even by saying this, because some of you all have uh, either didn't give your kids a survey because you were afraid what you would get, um, or, or were really just discouraged, or maybe you just didn't discipline yourself to do the things that we said would help you. It is a tremendous help to sit and get feedback about how you're doing. And it's not always what you perceive yourself to be doing that, that in reality you are really doing. So, um, but my dad, when, uh, one of the things my dad did a lot when, when uh, I was a young man is that when he blew it, okay, 
And, and probably my dad's largest vice was my largest, is still my largest vice. It's probably muted a little bit in me. It's going to be hopefully a little bit more muted in my kids. But it's just that whole anger and that spiking and, uh, and, and that, that little bit of rage that comes up or things uh, in us, often as, as men. But my dad, when he would blow it, he would always come in my room and he told me, look, a lot of men can go through life and, uh, and, and make mistakes, but it takes a real man to admit that he made mistakes. And uh, th- there was never a time, my dad and I talked about this, that we opened God's word that I can remember together and studied it. It was just not part of what we did. We went to church, but church was kind of this thing we did on Sundays, and then we moved on. But there were things that my dad did that were informed by God's word that later I go back and, well, that's what he was doing here. That's what he was doing here. Whether he knew it or not, you know, uh, you know became useful to me because I could see it. And one of the things that he did is he would come in and he would humble himself. And I learned early on that what a man does is he doesn't try and CYA. He didn't try and convince everybody else around him. They didn't see what they just saw. He walks head on into it and he humbles himself. And that has continued to mark my life. And I am extremely grateful for that. So I want to tell you, one of the things that you might want to do with those little surveys, I would not go and I would not promise that you'll never do those things again because that's a losing battle. But what I would do is if there are things that you need to seek your wives or your children's forgiveness for, tell them that one thing that great men always do is learn and that you are learning. And that you want to ask their forgiveness for some things maybe you haven't done to the level that you've wanted to. But just like you want them to excel still more as a young man or a young woman, you are excelling still more. You've gotten up at, you know, uh, oh, dark 30 for these five weeks to surround yourself with other guys. You're going to form a covenant of friendships with other men. They're going to remind you and encourage you. Why do I say all this to start? This is an easy class to feel guilty in. There is nothing so tender as a father's heart towards his children. In 3 John 4, there's only one chapter in 3 John, so there's no uh, chapter, just verse 4. It said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Well, the principle that Jesus teaches us is that rarely does a servant uh, surpass its master. Rarely does a student surpass the teacher. And uh, while God's grace covers a multitude of parenting mistakes, I would not just (laughs) roll the dice that your student is going to be the one that surpasses the teacher. They might, but it will be to spite you and it will be with much pain, bitterness and broken relationship. So here's the thing. Forget what lies behind. In the sense that it's not going to rule your life by guilt and shame. We can always find somebody else who's doing it better that makes us just wallow in our self-pity and self-hate. And I guarantee you can find somebody who's doing it worse. And I would not take pride in that fact that somebody's doing it worse than you. They travel more. They're less attentive. They're angrier. They're more unfaithful to the kid's mama. I would tell you to find what Christ exhorts you to. Because he has your best interests in mind. So here we go. One last thing I do want to say. I, I'm glad we've got guys here uh, that, that through relationships with other men that go to Watermark that, that you've been invited to come and hang out. Uh, our goal is not to get you to connect with Watermark. Even the folks that go to Watermark, our goal is not to get you to connect with Watermark. Our goal is to get you to run hard with Jesus. Now, we will tell you this. The reason that we're running hard together here at Watermark is because this is a place that we've found that will call you to the fullness of what God intends you to be. And what I want to say to you is if your community of faith is not exhorting you to be everything that God wants you to be, then they are ripping you off. If what they want you to do is show up and to validate their own self-worth by your presence at a weekly meeting, and they won't ask too much of you so that you won't get offended and leave, and they'll tell you by just showing up and giving them enough money to keep the lights on, and uh, not totally humiliating them with some public behavior, and they tell you that's what God wants from you, okay? And uh, they promise you that they won't ask too much, and so you tell them that the pastor's doing what God wants them to do, and you're cutting that deal, then you are in a very dangerous place. And we do want you to leave that church. We want you to find a church, whether it be this one, if you think it is it, or another one, where you can be spurred on to be everything God wants you to be, because you deserve that. You don't need to be in a group that all they want to do is have you attend weekly meetings. You want to be around other men that want to sharpen you as iron sharpens iron. So what I say to you is go back and be an agent of change. Go back and be a difference maker. If the leadership there will not let you do it, run for the hills. If you come here and we don't call you to be everything God wants you to be, run for the hills. 
one of the things that I do love about this place here is that, uh, is that it is growing me, it is growing my family, and we welcome you, but you need to know something. We are about Jesus, okay? And trying to get you to walk with him, not watermark. I, I will also offer you this, and that is if you want your kids to grow up and have a disdain and an indifference towards Christ and spiritual things, the best thing you can do is continue to attend a church that you secretly in your heart wish that you did not go to. Because kids know the emperor has no clothes. And they will learn to hate church, and they will learn to be bitter at you, and wonder why you are such a weak man that culture forces you to go to a weekly meeting of bored adults where it makes no transformative difference in their life. So if you want to ruin your kids, I don't care what else you do, you keep attending a church that you secretly wish you did not go to. Okay? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for a chance to get with these guys and to look at your word and to encourage one another. And uh, this is an area that is tender to us. You've told us that you have made us in your image. And um, one of the things that you are is a loving Heavenly Father who cares deeply for his kids, who has done everything necessary for them to have life and godliness and glory. And because we're made in your image, there is deep inside of us a desire for our children to be uh, filled with glory and dignity and life. And uh, Lord, we haven't done that very well, probably, at least not as well as we want. So I thank you that your grace has us here, that there's at least some handhold that we can grab onto and pull ourselves up a little bit more toward that image of the one that your grace, if we know you, is purposed to conform us into that image, the image of your son. I thank you that he is, um, he is tender and gracious and compassionate, filled with loving kindness and truth. We thank you that he is the perfect master and teacher. And we want to learn from him and be like him and be faithful. And I pray, Lord, that our disciples would then um, walk in the truth and we would have great joy and gladness. So use this morning towards that end. Help us to laugh, have fun, learn, and uh, strengthen our hearts as dads. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, hey, listen, uh, open up. Let's just do this. Let's knock off the blanks in your book so that uh, all the type A obsessive compulsive folks don't email Kyle all week. And uh, let's just knock those off very quickly. Uh, you're going to talk about Proverbs 2 as part of your homework this week. Just open up there to week 3. And as Kyle said, we're going to start to talk about um, our hearts a little bit this week and, and how we can move kids to engage their hearts in every way that they should. But let's look at Proverbs um, 2. Look, Proverbs 2, this is what it says. There's a key word that pops out at you. One of the things you want to do when you read your Bible is read it with a pen in your hand. Okay? I would learn to write in your Bible. Okay, some people go, well, you shouldn't write in your Bible. The Bible's God's holy word. You know, you don't want to desecrate it. Well, you're not going to desecrate it if you write in your Bible. You're going to illuminate it, all right? Some people, you know, might go, well, I don't want to write in there because I want to make sure I know what God's word is. Okay, let me just help you with something, all right? In my Bible, if there's black type that doesn't smear on white paper, that's God's word. If there's ink in my handwriting, that's not God's word. So I've not yet run into a problem <laughs> where I've gone back and gone, well, I wonder if that's just extra inspiration there. It looks like I wrote it, but who knows, Okay circle, underline, all right, my son, if you will receive my commandments, it's implied, if you treasure my commandments, if you make ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline heart, your understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice, if you seek your silver, if you search for his for hidden treasures, then good things are going to roll. Then you're going to discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Let's accelerate this. Let's go to the next slide. Verses 1 through 4 say, if, if, if. And then verses 5 down through verse 8 tell you the first then that's going to happen. Verse 9 and following tells you some more. And then it's going to deliver you from two things. So in verse 20, you've got something. The two things it's going to deliver you from is wicked men. Proverbs 13, 20 says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 2 is going to show you what a fool is. Okay, And it's going to teach you what wisdom is. It's going to give you a plumb line and a baseline for righteousness and truth. So when some idiot comes up and says, let's go do this, let's live this way, let's think this way, you can say, that doesn't sound like that's where life is to me. And you'll know that. And so Proverbs 2 is um, basically a little text that's screaming at you that if you want to be not susceptible to two things, wicked men and wild women, that's the second part right there in verse 16, okay? 
Um, if you search God's heart, mind, plan, and word, then you'll discern the fear of the Lord. Verse 9, you'll discern righteousness and justice. It'll deliver you from bad friendships. It will deliver you from tempting women so that you can walk in righteousness and there is no greater joy than to have your children walk in the truth. If there are two things that take men down, it's that they run with not a band of brothers, but a band of bozos, a band of idiots who encourage each other in compromise and in sin and in dereliction. Or they cannot control the lust of their flesh. And uh, it's interesting, when you look at Proverbs, in uh, the first ten chapters, five different times, there are long, extended conversations about the dangers of the harlot. And how many of us, how few of us have had dads ever that sat down with us and talked to us about women, about the natural urges that begin to come into a man's life, that they're God-given, that they're a gift. But if you misuse a gift, it's going to be a great cause of pain and destruction in your life. That talk about masturbation, that talk about pornography, that talk about what women can do. Talk about God's role for women and how he intends you to enjoy women. Very few guys, very few guys have ever had a dad sit down and do that with him. That's one of the great gifts. But that's Proverbs 2. You're going to talk more about that today in your little group. All right? So that's there. Let me fill in the blanks for you that are on your little notes page right there uh, under week three where it says teaching your kids to have a hunger for God's word. We've got some blanks, so I'm going to fill those in real quick. And then I'm hopefully going to just uh, give you some very practical stuff this morning. So you see the blank right there? It says your kids should see you reading, studying, and memorizing God's word. Okay? You've got to be a guy that they're going to follow in your steps. Um, there is no question that a life well lived is better than a lecture that is listened to. Uh, Edgar Guest, one of America's great poets, has a little thing called, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Right? The eyes are more willing pupil, right? more attentive than the ear. Great little poem. Google, I'd rather see a sermon. Don't tell your kids how important God's word is. Wake up every morning, break the book open, and let your kids see you studying God's Word. Let them hear it flow from your mouth. Let them hear you go to it to give them counsel. You want your kids to love His Word? Love it yourself. Kids honor what we honor. And so, you've got to be an individual. If you want your kids to love it with all their heart, you've got to start with asking yourself, do you love it with all your heart? Because they want to be like you. This is why kids drink, by the way. Because they see adults when they get together unable to have a good time unless they break out the beer or break out the wine. They make a big deal out of it. And they go, okay, when I'm an adult, I want to have fun like an adult. So I'm going to get to the beer and the wine and the party as quick as I can. And you're naive to think that your kids aren't going to want to do that with their friends if you model that with your friends. Are beer and alcohol the unforgivable sin? Is it something Christians don't do? I'm going to tell you no. Are beer and alcohol a corrupting influence in our culture and especially in our youth? Yes. Should you be careful with your liberty so that you don't cause those who follow you to stumble? Absolutely. So I'm just going to tell you, if your kids grow up with beer in the fridge, seeing dad having that, just don't be surprised when it shows up in their cooler. Okay? Likewise, if your kids see God's word pour from your mouth, if your kids see uh, you breaking open the book, don't be surprised if they ask for a Bible for Christmas. If you go to a church that's boring and dead, don't be surprised that they don't want to go to church. Got it? The greatest thing that you can do as a parent is to radically seek Christ with all your heart. You cannot lead other men where you are not going. You just can't do it. You will just be Charlie Brown's teacher. And they'll tune you out. But they will get in line behind you, I promise you. Okay? Uh, by the way, study after study about the number of kids that are leaving the church when they go to college. And, um, and, and I will tell you that, by and large, we have seen that here it has been almost completely inversed. About 80% of kids that go to churches when they get to college don't go to church. Why? Because they're, you know, see my earlier part of our conversation. But I would tell you that... Um, you know, that that has not been our experience so far here. In fact, um, you know, some of you guys know I worked for a long time at a place uh, called Canacuck where we interview thousands of college athletes and college students every year. We hire staff of 3,000 in the summer uh, alone. And so we interview probably 5X that, maybe more than that, 
6x that. And I had a group of guys call us this year and just say, hey, Todd, can I tell you something? We've been doing this for a long time. And we've now gotten to where we can be on certain college campuses and we talk to kids and we can almost tell if they've been underneath the shepherding of your leadership. Not yours, but the the leadership of the, the body at Watermark. They go, there is a different kind of kid coming out of that community. And we want to understand it. Now these are guys that I worked with for 10 years and that have been at this thing for about 40, 50 years. And they go, something is happening that is materially different. We haven't seen it consistently across the community. There's always some spectacular kids, but there is a, 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 a breadth of a river of faithfulness that's coming out. I will tell you that part of that is that a lot of kids are seeing parents not go to church here. They're seeing their parents be the church here. Howard Hendricks, one of the guys that influenced my life at Dallas Seminary, Hendricks did a study on why uh, kids leave the faith. And they said, uh, he said, I, I had an easier time finding out why kids are effective when they go off and leave their parents. And he said the kids that are effective when they leave their parents are specifically kids of parents, not who went to church, not even who just did Christian things like read Christian books, listen to Christian music, go to Christian meetings. He said the kids that are materially different that would go hard in college are kids that saw their parents pray for their neighbors, engage their neighbors. They've watched their parents share Christ with, lead and disciple their neighbors. What he's saying is they are the church. Here's my question. When's the last time have your kids seen you engage somebody in a spiritual conversation? Where you have been an evangelist? In other words, that you're passionate enough to say to somebody else, listen to me about this. They know that you do what you're supposed to do as a parent because you're a parent, but they, they know what you really care about is what you're going to talk to your friends about, where you're going to invest your life, where you're willing to go down hard. They watch you argue politics. They watch you argue economics. They watch you argue business strategies. They watch you argue cowboys. They watch you argue colleges. Do they hear you discuss Christ with your friends? Not about why this year's Longhorn team is going to be the best one ever. And I know you're not making that argument right now. All right. Maybe I should talk to my Baylor friends. All right. Not why you Baylor folks are coming out of a 50-year famine. All right. But, but do they hear you talk about the greatness of your God and evangelize him and talk about him and train them to be a fan of Jesus? Otherwise, they'll grow up and they'll be a fan of your sports team, but they will... Keep this periphery thing in your life very periphery to them. Okay? The best thing that you can do as a parent is decide if this God that you're telling them about is really worth a God worth seeking. The kids that do well are kids of families where they watch their mom and dad be the church, not go to church. So the first thing you might need to do is go, I don't even know how to be the church. And I would tell you, if you're at a church that's not teaching you how to be the church, you're at the wrong church. Okay? Excellent. All right, so uh, second one, make God's Word fun. Man, it should be fun. I'll just do this very quickly. Um, you know, like Proverbs 2, when I taught my kids Proverbs 2, one of the things I did is I know what they like. So I told them that uh, for the boys, I had hidden, um, uh, you know, uh, an edition of like uh, Madden or an edition of um, uh, Major League Baseball 2K, you know, something, some Xbox game in the house. And I go, It's hidden. And for the girls, I had something that I knew they would enjoy. I go, it's hidden, go find it. They go, what? I go, that thing you've been wanting for a long time, it's there, go get it. And they tore the house apart looking for it. Okay? They were going to get it anyway. They'd kind of earned it through some different things that they've done. But, man, they go through all that and they can't find it. They're exhausted. I go, well, why are you guys looking for it so much? Are you kidding me, Dad? This is Madden, man. We want to watch it. We want to see it. We want to play it. And I said, let me show you something else you should seek for. I go, sit down. I'll give you a clue if you pay attention. You answer questions right about what we're about to look at, and I give you clues where you can maybe find Madden. And so we go to Proverbs chapter 2, and we talk about, hey, look, if you guys look for truth in God's Word the same way you're looking for this stupid little Xbox game, let me tell you what it would do for you. You wouldn't just be some winner of some little fantasy little thumb league. You'd be the kind of man that others would look at and go, may the world multiply men like you, that women would want to follow, that God can use. So I'm glad you sought for your little treasure, right? Because they don't really care much about silver or gold, the age I did this with them. But they cared a lot about that new Xbox game. And so we just had some fun with that. We make God's word fun. I don't, go, I don't just tell them to sit down and get after it. I tell them, you know, when we did Ezekiel 2 a couple of weeks ago, Ezekiel 2 talks about how God gave Ezekiel a scroll. 
And in that thing, it's funny, God says to Ezekiel, eat this book. And then, and then in Ezekiel it says, when he put it on his lips, it tasted sweet as honey. I said, close your mouth. All right, I'm going to put two different things in your mouth. And they're like, no, no, dad, no, no, no. No, but put it in your mouth. One spoon had honey on it, one spoon has vinegar on it. Which one do you want in your mouth? You know, so just that little taste, okay, it wasn't filled with vinegar, just a spoon dipped in vinegar in case you go home and (laughs) shove a two-liter bottle of white vinegar down your kid's throat and go, well, pastor said this was going to help our kids, sweetie. I don't know what the problem is. But you know what? They, I want them to associate God's word with sugar, with fun, with honey. It's life-giving. And then I explain to them, it's not just the taste, because sometimes it's hard to get down, but you explain to them, look, this is what it says. I took them to other places in Psalm 119 where it says this specific truth. Make it fun. Make it fun. We've got this thing called join the journey. We're trying to set you up for success as parents. So uh, every week we put a family activity in there. Now, if you've got older kids, like some of mine are in high school and college, uh, now it's, it's a little harder to, to take some of those things that are designed more for the elementary and down kids. But I will tell you this, my older kids, if I've got younger kids than them, they, get a, they enjoy watching the younger kids, being the teacher, if you will, as we do some of these little activities. So one of them last week, it talked about how Daniel, in chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. And so the project then was get some Play-Doh, make a little heart. Okay, you sit down with your kids, you make a Play-Doh heart, you make uh, uh, three letters, Daniel, D-A-N, and then you make uh, two numbers, one, eight. Okay, and then you just make those things with your kids while you're talking about the scripture. And then you take them and you put them inside that little heart, and then you just leave them in the sun and it gets hardened and you go back to it later. You had fun engaging with your kids, playing Play-Doh with them, and then you let them see how Daniel... Dan 1.8 got hard inside of his heart. Daniel set his heart. Daniel made up his mind to not defile himself. Hey, what have you set your heart to doing? That's the way you teach. That's not Todd's creative idea. That's something we give to you for free. Jointhejourney.com. Put your email address in. We'll send it to you. This week, Daniel 5 is one of the chapters we're reading. Okay? And so it talks about how uh, that famous scene where Belshazzar was at a party getting after it, and a hand shows up and writes some stuff on the wall. And so... Uh, describe that scene to your kids. You go through it. One of the things you'll then do is give everybody a little uh, time, break out the scriptures. Say, what's a, what's a verse that God would need to write on the, the wall that we would see? And then give them those little pens that you can write on a mirror. And send everybody to go write on the mirror some little message. You might give it to them. The one that we recommend is, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And so go write that in your mirror. That makes God's word fun. Have you ever noticed, how many of you guys, well, you don't need to raise your hand, but let's say, you know, you maybe go to a church that, that still does children's sermons. You know what children's sermons are? It's the time in the service when everybody pays attention. Because, because uh, the pastor calls him up and he's creative and he uses metaphors and illustrations. And so all the parents are like this listening too. Make it fun. Be fun. Okay, very quickly. Uh, do it together. Don't just tell them to go have time with the Lord. Sit down and do it with them. Uh, I'm going to cover ways that we try and do this at the Wagner House that might help you. Apply Scripture to the current life situation. So do it together as a third blank. Life situations. the fourth blank. Affirm your kids' time in the Word is the fifth blank right there. And when they use Scripture in their life. All right, so the other day. Uh, you know, my kids, we, we, we happen to love bluebell ice cream. And so somebody just said, Hey, can we have some ice cream tonight, dad? I go, tell you what, who today put honey on their lips? They kind of looked around. I go, no, no. Who today read God's word on their own? One boy raised his hand. And I said to Kate, I said, Kate, what'd you read? He read the proverb that went with that day. I go, ice cream. The rest of go, oh! I go, how many of y'all knew that I love you to read God's word? Okay. I go, listen, I want to tell you, in keeping God's word, there's great reward. Tonight, the reward is you who sat down to put before yourself sweet stuff. Get sweet stuff from me. Okay, that was it. No big deal. Not a huge bowl of ice cream. But Cade enjoyed ice cream. What do you think that says? Kids will learn to value what I value. What do I value? I value kids that seek God's word with all their heart. So affirmed it. All I did is affirmed it. Okay, I'll, I'll give you some more examples of that in just a little bit. A little simple thing, cost me nothing. Okay, uh, have a simple plan. Have any plan. Be intentional. Take some thought. 
I have a friend who's in this room, and I, I told him, I'm going to use this. Last week, very humbly in our group, this is a gifted guy. I know he's successful at his career. Um, he very humbly looked at our group, and he just said this. He goes, I've got a plan for everything in my life. Everything. Except this. And it's the most important thing. And it was like he just was stunned at himself. And I just thought, hey, that's where most guys are. We just kind of wake up and kids are 18 and they're gone. Um, uh, a friend of mine that I, I've gotten to know, a guy who, uh, you know, David Klingler, played some football down there at University of Houston, did rather well, went on, played some in the NFL. When his NFL career was coming to an end, he um, was pulled aside by the coaching staff said, David, look, we're, we're going to keep you on the team this year because we're going to do something for the organization. A, you're... You know, you're no longer going to be the guy we're going to run out there, but we're going to use you as a great backup. And we want you to really coach and mentor the younger guys. We think you've got a great future as a coach. And we think you can make, you know, you ought to do this the rest of your life. We watch the way you live. We watch the way you lead. We want you to be um, a guy that's kind of in the fast track towards where Flores is. And, um, and Flores, he sat down. So I'd like to talk to Tom some more about this. So he and Tom sat down and he said, that he goes, David, he goes, you'll love it. You'll never leave the game. And everything about it is great. He said, but I want to warn you. He said, the other night I went in to kiss my little boy goodnight. And he was 18. And that's all Flory said. And the meeting was over. And what he was saying is, I've given my life to this thing that every man wants to be a part of. And I went to kiss my little boy goodnight. And he wasn't a little boy, he was gone. He was 18. And so Klingler is not coaching. He's actually in Houston. He's uh, involved in ministry. He's president of the adjunct campus of Dallas uh, Seminary down there in Houston. But let me just tell you something. This isn't Tom Flory's problem. Some of you guys never coached the Raiders. And if you don't have a plan, you're going to go to kiss your little boy. Okay? Good night. And he's going to be 18. I filmed my little girl who went to college at Oklahoma State University the other day. Uh, I just took my little iPhone out, kissed her goodbye. She got in a little car, hit record, and watched that door shut and just filmed as it drove down the road. Let it go down there at the end of Bryn Mawr, take her right on Willard. Off she went. And uh, I can't walk in a room anymore and lay with her in bed and pray with her. I can't teach her anymore. I had 18 years to go to bat there. It's gone. And it goes quick. Don't miss it. Have a plan. Okay. Now let me give you some good news. If you have a plan, things turn out well. Allie called me last week. She was at her very first ever um, college mixer. She pledged a little sorority up there. And uh, her little sorority was invited by uh, some house to come and mix. <laughs> and she called me uh, and she said, Dad, after it was over, she said, Hey, I went to a mixer tonight. And a little Kappa house went with whatever the house was they went to. And, uh, and she said, <laughs> she said it was called a stoplight mixer. I go, okay, so what was that? She goes, well, you either had to wear green, yellow, or red. Green meant I'm available, I'm ready to go. Yellow meant it's complicated. And red meant I'm taken and, and, and you know, not going to advance relationally with folks. And so you're supposed to wear green, yellow, or red. And then when they grouped us up, kind of the green folks, the yellow folks, and the red folks, because really no one wore yellow. And I go, and she goes, you want to know what I wore? I go, well, sure, what'd you wear? She goes, I got some good news and some bad news. She goes, the good news is I wore white. She goes, the bad news is it was a jog bra, is what she told me. Uh, and she paused. <laughs> she goes, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I didn't wear a jog bra. Which is really funny. She goes, I just wore white, Dad, there's no bad news, I just wore white. You think I'd wear a jog bra? I go, well, I was, I was listening anyway, you know, I don't know. A lot can happen in ten days. Uh, but she said, I wore white. I go, why, why'd you wear white? Who else wore white? She goes, no one else wore white. She said, I showed up. I'm walking around. Everybody goes, why are you wearing white? She said, because I'm not available, complicated, or taken. I'm content. And she said, she had more. All the guys want to talk. Who's the girl in white? What are you doing? Why are you in white? She said, I had more great conversations. When I asked Allie how I could help her grow the next year, you know what she said? Allie's a girl who has what's called a word-finding problem. If you hand her a pen, 
She won't call it a pen. She knows it's a pen, but her mind works differently. She goes, a writing stick, um, an ink flow, um, a, a permanent pencil. Uh, she'll give you 13 different things, and finally she'll go pen. I mean, her mind's smart like that, but it doesn't show up smart on a test, right? And so when I asked Allie, and she emailed me back her little survey, what, can I, you know, what, what area do you want to grow in this next year? She said, I want to be able to find the right words when I'm sharing the gospel. Help me with that. She needs a real hard script because she knows it. She just can't get the words that always make sense. Now look, that didn't happen because I told her, you're going to be an evangelist. This is what you do. Because some outflowing of grace in my life and the life of those that have built into her have her going to college, and when they say, you've got to be connected with a guy, you've got to be a girl that finds her value and being read, you're taken, somebody's valued you, she just goes, I'm content. And she goes, when they, I go, what room did you go into? And they put you in the green and the kind of the red and the yellow room. She goes, I floated. I went to every room. I thought to myself, wow, how good is that? How encouraging is that? And so have a plan. I'll, I'll, I'll just show you. Part of my plan from the time that um, I knew that I was going to raise a little girl was I knew that I got to help her understand what a godly woman was. So let me just jump to this real quick. Uh, look at this little sheet. This is something that I did. I, I go, I'm going to have a plan. What's it mean to be God's man? What's it mean to be God's woman? So let's look at the woman's side. It's the one with the blue at the, I mean the red at the top. And so you might ask yourself, how can my little girl, when she goes to college, think like that? Well, one of the ways is, at some point, you've got to prepare her for that natural inclination of her heart to find her worth and dignity and value the way the world tells women they get worth, dignity, and value. And that is that men think that they are attractive and that they want to yoke up with them. And so a lot of girls, through body image, maybe through, uh, through being so desperate that they give themselves away physically, because guys will tell you, I'll hook up with you if you, you know, give me the hookup. And I just, I just told Allie from the time she was little, I said, look, we're going to talk about what it means to be a godly woman. And so uh, I really started, I'll, be, I'll confess, even though I had two girls and then my first boy, and then another girl and two more boys, I, I really, frankly, started with what's a godly man, even though my girls were five years ahead of them. Um, and I thought, you know what, idiot, you raising girls as well. Let's talk about what a godly girl is. So I got a late start with my girls. I, I, for me, I'm a simple guy. I need to put stuff that I can remember. So when you think about what the, the ideal man is, I mean, not in a theological way, okay? You know, where you, you, you know, the answer is always Jesus, and clearly he is the ideal man. But if you're a young guy, what do you want to be? You want to be Superman, right? You want that S and that cape, and you want to be able to fly, leap tall buildings in a single bound, all right? Be fast than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. I mean, man, I remember that. I, I remember watching that and dreaming I could be that. And so I just said, hey, we're going to talk about what a great man is, a superman is, a godly man is. And so I took five S's. And, uh, and, and for my boys, you'll see them down there. I have a plan. My boys understand that a man steps up. They initiate. They take responsibility. They, they assume it's their time and their job. They reject passivity. I didn't do it exactly in the order I wrote down that. They lead. And they've memorized and are memorizing at age-appropriate levels verses that go with what it means to step up. There's such a problem with apathy and passivity in males in America today. I said, men, step up. Why did I do this? In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, by the way, this is what got me thinking. It says in there, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And you really want to see, a friend of mine said this at one point. He said, you really want to see awkwardness come over a group of men? Ask them what a man is. Most guys are going, what is a man? You know, he's got a penis. All right, well, hey, way to go on that one, boss. <laughs> what makes you a man? I mean, the kind of man that's worth dignity and glory. And so I, I, I wrote down five things and gave verses that support it. My kids memorize it and they're learning it. Last night, one of my plans was when they enter into high school and they enter into college and then they enter into marriage. Right? We're going to have little ceremonies where I say, you're just moving forward. You're taking the next step. And so last night, it just so happened, it wasn't because we're doing this, but last night it so happened, my, my youngest so I could get everybody together, so a small group leader, uh, guys in my community, we sat down. And uh, we, we gave him a charge. We said, you're entering into a new phase of life. And we said, in four years, when you get to Highland Park High School, this is what we expect of you. You're a man. 
The Jews did this. It's called a bar mitzvah. Son mitzvah is law. Son of the law. You're 13, son. You're no longer now just your daddy's boy. You are now culpable before God for how you live. That's 13. That's what bar mitzvah means. All right? You're a son of the law. So, you know, you're going to be tried as an adult from here on out. Basically, what I did with my son last night is said, hey, buddy. Okay, you know how I'm going to send you off in college for you? I'm sending you off to high school right now. I'm going to be right here. Do it for it. Do it with them. Let them do it. This is the do it with them stage. I'll help you any way I can. But it's time to start to execute. And we gave him a vision for what a godly man does in high school. Based on these things, we broke it down into five other areas. I asked each of those guys to talk about five or six minutes on. And um, we gave him a vision for what high school is all about. As he steps up. Speaks out, stands firm, stays humble, and serves the king. Go back to Allie. Flip over. What's the very first thing that my little girl has been learning about what it means to be a God's woman? Seek first what? Seek first God. And then this little phrase, every time she thinks seek first, that's what a godly woman does. She seeks God first, his kingdom, his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33 is the verse she memorized, and all these things will be added to you. But the little thing I, I want to come in her mind when she thinks a godly woman, never buy the lie or reject the lie that anyone or anything can satisfy you other than Jesus. So when your little sorority is told they need a boy to hook up with, to be satisfied and be popular and be legit, no, you're content. Seek God, not a husband. Okay, That's where that showed up. Now why? You are not just teaching kids to win at Bible trivia. You're trying to shepherd a heart. One of the things that you want to do, guys, is make sure you train them towards the moral why, not just know the moral what. The two major mistakes I see parents make, well, one is they don't have a plan. I've already said that. But, but they, they want obedient children. They want their friends and community to go, wow, your kids are really obedient. And look, we do want obedient children, but your goal is not to raise uh, have obedient children. Your goal and your charge is to raise a godly, mature adult. If all they do is fear the stick and fear the wrath and know that there has to be behavior modification in your home, but you don't teach them why they live that way, they're going to be like every churchman in America, that we hold our wives' hands on Sunday, we don't cuss at people in the parking lot at church, but off a of Sunday, when I'm not having to do the moral what? There is no moral why, and I say, don't be dragging church over in the way I work. Don't be dragging church in the way I treat my wife during the week. Don't be dragging church in the way I spend my money. Churches are all about external conformity too much. Godless churches, dead churches, are about external conformity and not about internal transformation. The purpose of teaching is not information, it's transformation. And so as a parent... Your prayer is that this would be embedded into their heart, and you teach them why. Last night when we gave Cooper all these charges, at the very end of it, I said, Coop, you know, what we've done is we've admonished you towards certain things. And I just went back, and I just said simply this at the very end. And I had to go through it you know, for like two or three minutes until we finally got it. I go, why? Why did we share all these things? Kind of silent. I go, why do we give you these charges? Why does God give you commands? And at first he goes, he, he wants us to do the right thing? I go, yes. Why does he want you to do the right thing? And I, I kept pushing. I go, because he loves you. Because he's got your best interest in mind. He is not nervous that people go, what kind of God are you? Those are your people? What are you doing? He is secure. But God wants you to enjoy. He has no greater joy than to watch you walk in the truth. There, there is truth here that will lead to life. And I keep trying to tell my kids, this isn't about me. Most parenting mistakes I make, by the way, are about me. And, and instead, you've got to help them grow. The second biggest mistake I see parents make is that they want stuff so bad for their kids, they can't take it away from their kids when their kids need it taken away. They, 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 they make idle threats that if you do this, you're grounded until your senior year, okay? which is crazy. But then they say, look, hey, that choice, there's got to be a consequence to that. And then they realize, oh, man. That's the weekend we were supposed to go to Six Flags. Oh, man, this is the World Series. And I told him you couldn't watch TV for a week. And you want to watch TV, the World Series with your boy. And so you just cave because you want your boy to get to watch the World Series with you. Instead of saying, you know what? This is going to be a little miss right here. First of all, be careful. Don't make idle threats. All right? 
Don't, don't, don't throw out idle punishments or consequences. But you've got to love your boy enough that he doesn't play in the orange bowl if he breaks curfew. If you don't, you're going to raise a bunch of the kind of athletes we see in the NFL right now who just keep floating through because we need them in the game. No, you don't. You need to be godly men. Okay, guys. Have a plan. You've got to have a presence. Okay? One of the best parenting phrases I've ever heard is you must be present to win. You've got to be there. You've got to be present. Why? And I'm going to take you through this now, this little sheet that I made. This one right here, Living Out Deuteronomy. Because this is, I want to talk to you, but Kyle asked me to talk about training. And I'm going to show you very quickly, and I'll give you a couple of illustrations, and we're going to be done, so you can go. So I, I just took that little chart that uh, our friend Reggie did, and I just kind of changed it up a little bit. You recognize this from week one? So what I basically did is, this is how you live out Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 today. What... There's what I call formal devotions. When you talk about how to train your kids, too many guys think that is, hey, we're going we're to have a family devotional right now. And look, have family devotionals when you can. But don't make them 45 minutes long. They can be five minutes long and be very productive if their hearts are engaged. You need to have formal devotions. My suggestion to you is this. If all you do is formal devotions, you're not going to be a very effective teacher. And so what I try to do is take Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, where it talks about when you're supposed to teach God's word to your children, when you sit at your house. That's the formal time. Okay? And I will tell you that of the Wagner Discipleship Program, that is probably 20% of how I train my kids. The rest of it shows up in the anytime, every time, and appropriate time. So the practice of the, the scheduled one are formal devotions. Then there's informal devotions, impromptu devotions, and encouraging devotion, which is kind of affirming what you want to affirm. So what do I mean by that? The role in the first three is the same. To teach them to know God, to know His Word, and to see how relevant it is to their life. The role of the fourth one is to be encouraged or cheerleader, to be a proud, attentive, affirming father, which means you've got to be there when you see your kids do something well and go, well done! That's awesome! I can't be up there in Stillwater, so I need Allie to tell me some things, but you think I made a big deal out of her wearing white? Using it as an opportunity to talk about her contentment in Jesus Christ with folks at her first ever college mixer? Oh, I made her a hero! Okay, there is an ivory sculptor now, sculptor being made to be put in our backyard with Allie wearing a white jog bra. We're going to put it there, okay? No, I didn't. But man, I gathered her brothers and sisters together and go, let me tell you what Allie did. Is this not great? I affirmed her over the phone. I was her cheerleader. And so I, at appropriate time, when I see her devoted, I honored that. My kids see, this is what dad loves. This is what makes you hear on dad's eyes. Okay, so the goal is to make a disciple of formal teaching. You, you want them to know certain information. Okay? But, but the goal of any time informal devotions are to show them that God's word is relevant, not just for church and Sunday school time, but all the time. It's relevant everywhere. It comes up constantly uh, to teach them to be continually attentive to spiritual things and impromptu devotions every chance you get. And the, the goal of encouraging them is to help them excel still more, to want more in. Where? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you wake up. You want to tell your kids... You know, at night, this is what I saw you do today that really, I thought, man, sets you apart. In the morning when they wake up, you want to tell them, hey, you got a chance today to go do something great. I know you're going to do it. Okay? You might want to remind them of Lamentations chapter 3, 22, 23. They had a bad day yesterday. Hey, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. It's a new chance for you to go out there. It's the appropriate time for me to admonish you through the day. All right. All those other verses, look them up. Maybe you want to see why they, they go right there. But here's my point. What I want to share with you is in having a presence that you can't do the any time and the every time. And you can't do the scheduled time unless you have a presence. So have a presence in your kid's life. Have a plan. Take those five S's, improve them, make them better, come up with your own thing. Figure out a way to teach them creatively. Honor them. Do that. I'll just... Um, I'll share with you a couple of quick things real quickly just to show you how I do some impromptu informal stuff. Just scroll through here. I think I got some things. All right, you know what that is right there? That is parenting gold. Who is that? It's Natalie Holloway. All right, now why do I show that? Okay, first of all, it's the parent's worst nightmare, right? I'll just go to the next one, more parenting gold. Anybody know who that is? Who is it? Ryan Broyles. Okay. Got a little article this week. Scroll to the next slide. It just looks like this. That's Parenting Gold. 
found an article about Ryan Broyles. And so one of our impromptu devotionals is we're sitting there reading the sports page or reading this little thing. I, I, I got my kids, all of them together, and we just read this a little bit of a time. And we'd read a paragraph, I'd stop, and I'd go, hey, what biblical principle just came out of the story? What Ryan Broyles did you do? What Landry Jones, who's the one who shared Christ with Ryan Broyles, what did he do? How can you do that? How can you your influence and your, your position? Okay, so it wasn't, we didn't open the Bible, we just opened the sports page, and we used the sports page to teach God's Word. Natalie Holloway, why is that parenting gold? Because the story goes, Natalie was a good girl. She never missed Bible studies. She did miss Bible studies. She was always the one that called. She went to spring break, was faithful all week long. The last night she was on her spring break, even though she'd never made a mistake before, she chose to one time go to Carlos and Charlie's to see if life was really there. One time, the good girl, to dip her toe a little bit to see if maybe there's life somewhere apart from Jesus and it's over. That is parenting gold. Now, I wish that Natalie Holloway never gave me that illustration, but I'm not going to waste it. I sat my little girls down in front of that TV and go, watch this. Okay? There's somebody who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's not life at Carlos and Charlie's. And let me just tell you something. There's a lot of girls who didn't get washed out to sea in Aruba, who went home in the plane and have a different kind of death living inside of them. That's parenting gold. See that? Impromptu. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to know where to take them. If you don't know where to take them in Scripture, talk about Natalie Holloway. If you don't know where to show them the different things that are in Ryan Boyle's story, story, but dang, this is what I'm trying to show you. These are the best devotionals. They're everywhere. Learn to illustrate all the time. Last thing is sometimes we play a game as a Wagner family. I just go illustrate that. What's that for? And, and I want to get them to teach about spiritual things. So we're just like, okay, hey, um, see that line on the road? Somebody give you a spiritual illustration out of that. Silence. No one has a clue. Okay, and just go, okay, that, that road's right there because it doesn't want you to drift from the right side to the left because you'll get a head-on collision and die. Can I think of a verse in the Scripture that talks about how he'll, he'll make your path straight? Okay, so now they start to get in the game a little bit. Proverbs 3, 6, right? Okay, hey, there's a telephone pole right there. Somebody give me a spiritual illustration out of that. Just impromptu devotionals. We've got a, a, a 30-minute car ride. I'm going to do that for five minutes, then we're going to be off to the next thing. We listen to a song on the radio. Okay, I stop and I go, okay, somebody tell me the lie that's in that song. What's the truth that's in that song? Turn the radio off. We just had our family devotional. See that? Teach, teach, teach. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Worry about the heart. Trust grace. Okay, in your own life, but be a devoted follower. All right. Father, thank you for a chance to take grace and go long. I pray these guys go in a room right now and they talk about these things. There's just no way. I mean, I cannot do in this short amount of time anything other than just say that you can use broken, imperfect men to participate with your spirit to be helpful in the life of children. Lord, just be merciful on us. Help us this. Help us do this, to seek you with all of our heart and to experience your goodness so that we might tell our kids, hey, God's not looking to rip you off. He's looking to set you free. Your daddy walks with God. He is good. May we be able to say that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.